This episode of The Way Home Podcast is sponsored by Evangelicals for Life, January 18th through 20th in Washington, D.C. Visit evangelicals.life for more information. What does it mean when the Bible says that humans are created in the image of God? And how does it affect the way we think about important issues like abortion and refugee care and care for the elderly and poverty and race and, and all those issues? Well, if that's something that you've wondered or God has put on your heart to work in a particular field where you're caring for the vulnerable, I want to invite you to a special event that we have every year in January called Evangelicals for Life. This conference is organized around the annual March for Life where people come to Washington, D.C. and make a statement that we believe the most vulnerable among us, the unborn, are people who have dignity and worth and are worthy of protection and care. But we want to invite you to this special event that we host. This year, I will be speaking, but also Russell Moore, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Keith Getty will be speaking, J.D. Greer, the new president of the Southern Baptist Convention, as well as Karen Ellis and several others. It's January 17th and 18th in Washington, D.C., and you can go to the website evangelicals.life to register. If you use a coupon code way home, you can get a significant discount. Make your voice heard. Learn how to be a champion for life in your community. Meet others who are working in various fields, whether it's pregnancy resource center directors or people working on relief and development in the developing world, people working on persecution of believers around the world, on the immigration issue, on poverty issues. Come and join us in Washington, D.C. this January 17th and 18th for Evangelicals for Life. How many of you growing up sang the song, This World Is Not My Home? Uh, I know I did. There's a sense about being a Christian that we're always a people on the move, always not fully comfortable in this world. Well, that's the topic that I want to broach with my good friend, Michelle Van Loon, who's going to join me today on the podcast. Michelle uh, is a really gifted writer and author, speaker. One of the, the themes of her writing ministry that I've really enjoyed is she really explores this theme of wandering, of being a pilgrim, or as Abraham says, uh, I'm a stranger in a strange land, or as it says in 1 Peter that uh, those who are in Christ are sojourners and exiles. Uh, she has a brand new book out called Born to Wander that I highly recommend, uh, and she's just a delightful interview a great conversation piece. She's also a fellow Chicagoan, so she understands what it's like to be from the Midwest. I think you'll enjoy my conversation here with Michelle Van Loon. Michelle Van Loon, thanks for joining me again. I am so glad to be with you. It's nice to hear your voice, and I hope you're enjoying your barbecue in Nashville as much as I'm enjoying my Italian beef in Chicago. You know, I cannot, I, the barbecue is good here, and surprisingly, the pizza game here is not as bad as I thought it would be coming from Chicago, but one of the things that is absolutely missing, and I cannot find anywhere, is Italian beef. Like, people don't even have a concept for it here, and so every time I'm back yeah. home... I've got to go to Portillo's, you know? Oh, absolutely. We could do a commercial for Portillo's. We could. That's not why we're here. They, they need a, a Nashville location. I mean, they need to yeah. expand here. So we need to make that happen. Yeah. But 
I wanted to have you on to talk about a lot of things, but you have a new book out on what it means to to be a wandering pilgrim. Am I getting that right? You are you have it absolutely right. And I think the theme we've we've heard a lot in the church over the last couple of years, especially about being exiles in our culture, um, people feeling like they're wandering with all the disruption, both in culture and in church. People are are trying to make sense of where they are and who they are in this cultural moment. You know, when I think of, of your book, I'm so glad you are talking about this. And this has kind of been a theme for a lot of your work, which is great. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've preached through and I've studied a lot First Peter, and I'm struck by the fact that First Peter, you know, he calls us strangers and foreigners, strangers and pilgrims, mm-hmm. however you want to sort of interpret mm-hmm. that. And, you know, I think we we know that as Christians, like, yeah, we're supposed to be different from the world, but just more and more I've been feeling, okay, this is what, what it looks like is, you know, if, if we're foreign strangers and pilgrims, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a sense in which we'll never feel completely at home in any earthly movement, right? That's exactly the case. And it's actually this side of Eden, that is our existential state. That is who we are. Um, because we are disconnected, we are living far from home at, at a level that goes even beyond this moment in this place and your address and your zip code and whether there's a Portillo's there or not. The, the reality is that we are wanderers. And that kind of flies in the face of a lot of the ways that we try to combat that or or kind of fight it. You know, we want to be comfortable. We want to be rooted. But all of us experience wandering in one form or another. For some of us, our family is the cause of our wandering. Divorce, death, dysfunction drive us from each other. Others see that state of exile and homelessness um, in our culture if you're a minority group and you've experienced systemic injustice or discrimination, you feel like you're on the outside looking in. Others find that sense of wandering in their local church, a place that's supposed to be a community of love and hospitality, sometimes leaves people, if it's not functioning well, feeling like outcasts. And the world has more than 60 million refugees in it at this moment in time. So we're all feeling wandering in one sense or another, whether it is physical or emotional or spiritual. Hmm. I feel that too. I feel like, you know, as a believer, if you're really, you know, walking with Christ and you're taking seriously what the Bible says about things like human dignity, things like um, Mm -hmm. righteousness, injustice, that mm-hmm. on the one hand you feel compelled because you love your neighbor that you have to be in the fight and you have to you have to work for a more just and civil society so you're in these institutions you we have to be 
We have to make voting decisions. We have to join institutions. This is how society thrives. And yet at the same time, we always have to realize that wherever we are, we're not home yet. And there should be a kind of dissonance, right? A a kind of a disconnect. That tension is a gift, but Mm. tension rarely feels like a gift. Mm. Every time that you read a parable of Jesus and you listen to those words, you realize that, that that's kind of the crossroads that we are all called to is to live in, live in that tension. Now, the thesis of my book is that those places of exile that we find ourselves in our life, the places of uncertainty and tension are never meant to be a destination. Scripture tells us that exile always has a purpose to transform us into pilgrims. Mm. And so there, there's kind of a give and take between those two ideas that should and should is, is a loaded word. It doesn't always, but it should propel us into a deeper pursuit of God uh, and to recognize that that tension mm. is a gift. It's not a curse. It feels like a curse because we want to just settle down and be done and be at home, but we are on our way home. We're not there. Mm-hmm. Could it be, too, that if we feel too at home, say, in a political party or in a particular movement that we do have mm-hmm. a lot of affinity with and we do have good reasons for being a part of? I, I'm not an anti-institutionalist. Mm-hmm. I actually think... We have to join imperfect institutions. We have to be part of imperfect movements. Mm-hmm. But if we feel too at home, could it be that we're we're being sort of catechized by that instead of by scripture? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I am sure that your book, your new book, which I I know we're supposed to be talking about my book, but <laughs> that, why not talk about them both? I am mm-hmm. sure that. That emphasis that, you know, we are in this world. How do we be in it and and not of it? That's another place of tension. As tempting as it is to create our own little bunkers and hide out from, from the big bad world as a way of trying to preserve ourselves, is it's a kind of a drug that... Um, numbs us to what is happening around us and turns it into an us and a them in a way that is um, very non-Christ honoring, very dangerous and, and, mm. and sad. Mm. Mm. Let's talk about, you know, this idea of wandering and being a pilgrim. You know, I think of like understanding this concept is to me is so important for how to, how to, how to live mm-hmm. the Christian life. There's a sense of like of discontent. Like there's there's not a kind of a full happiness, uh, right? Because we're not home yet. Can you can you explain what that's like for the Christian? Like why we feel that way? Yes. Well, um, I've heard I've spent more than four decades of my life in suburban church culture where I hear the word contentment used 
either as a mark of sacrifice in responding to consumer culture, as in, I wanted to remodel my kitchen, but God is helping me learn to be content with my new glass tile backsplash instead, or a way to, when the word contentment is used, to kind of broadcast ambition while at the same time signaling the virtue of humility, like I believe I'm called to be in charge of women's ministry in this church someday, but right now I'm content teaching the toddlers in Sunday school class. So when we use the word contentment and we push that value of contentment forward, I think we are missing what what scripture tells us about contentment, which is in 1 Timothy 6, 6, we hear godliness with contentment is great gain. And I think that Paul would be very surprised to hear how we are using the word contentment. The Greek word used there in this verse means that the person is resting in a place of safety and security in their lives. The context for the verse is all about false teachers and their greed and the lure of our own desires for more, more, more. Godly contentment, ironically, says enough instead of spouting Christianized versions of I want more. Mm -hmm. So I see the irony in Paul saying that godly contentment is the only more for which we should be aiming. Those are pilgrim words and um, don't have anything to do with a glass tile backsplash or a position in ministry. So godly contentment keeps us discontented with the world around us while at the same time, driving us toward the world with the love of Jesus. Isn't it so interesting how this wandering aspect is so wired into us? Even if you're not a believer, I think. I mean, Mm -hmm. you think about, we all sense that things are not as they should be, right? (laughs) Yes. And so what is that from? Is that because we know that things were once good? We all work for a, a better world what is that coming? We all want something better. There, yeah, you know, everyone wants to see things better and better. Right now, I'm I'm in a Tuesday morning Bible study with an amazing group of women, and we're studying Ecclesiastes right now. And I, if there was ever something that was giving me life in in the midst of this moment, it's it's the message that. Um, if the world could be better, somebody would have figured out how to make it better already. You know, every generation, you know, we have that kind of um, language of, come on, you are the world changers. We can make it better. And in some ways, you know, with technology, with lots of things, we, we see wonderful advances in science and in medicine and education, lots Lots of wonderful advances if you just step back and take a longer view in history. People are living longer, that kind of thing. But at the same time, we also wrestle with the continuing toxicity that tells us we aren't here Mm -hmm. yet. And that is not the destination. Despair isn't the destination 
buffering ourselves in a Christian bunker isn't the destination. Pilgrimage is our destination. And that is that is forward motion through that tension, pursuing the God who's calling us to follow him. Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you a couple of specific qu- questions about understanding what it means to be a pilgrim, because I just think this is so important. One, how does if we really understand this concept as the Bible talks about it, one, how does that affect the way that we do discipleship? Because it feels like we do discipleship. I mean, I'm glad there's a great emphasis now on discipleship, but it seems like a lot of it assumes that there's like, you're discipling people toward this fixed end in this life that, you know, they're going to get to this point and then they're going to be finally where they need to be, where we understand that we're always wandering, we're always pilgrims, and we're not going to be fully sanctified until we get to heaven, right? I mean, right. I think of John saying, we don't even, it doesn't even appear what we will be like. Like, we don't even know how much more God, God has to do with us after mm-hmm. we, when he comes back. But secondly, how does this, you know, this idea of pilgrim and wandering, how could this change the way preachers preach and pastor? You know, how how does it affect that? So those two questions. This might be the best and most favorite question that I have been asked (laughs) ever. I'm because we do treat discipleship, particularly with younger people and even into young adulthood, we treat it as master this information, master these practices. And when you master them, you kind of win at discipleship. And that totally, totally misses the picture that we have in scripture of pilgrimage. If you think of Abraham being called to go and not being given much other instruction, you know, it was kind of on an as needed basis. And he didn't get it right all the time. We, you know, you can read through Genesis and follow his journey, you know, and his successes, the places of great worship where he was building altars to God and the places where he diverted from the path and improvised, you know, on his own, for example, you know, kind of shading the truth about who his wife was. So, he could survive basically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we see that and we see that God was at work in all of that, that there, it wasn't a fixed set of information in a manual. It was, it, it was unfolded as Abraham followed as Abraham failed. And, you know, because failure is the ultimate exile. Sin leads us into exile and yet exile is never the terminal point. It's mm. always meant to transform us back into pilgrims, and we see that in Abraham's story as well. That's wow. mm. really good. That's I, I, really good. And there's just a way of reading Scripture. I, th- I actually take, you know, when I see myself as a stranger and foreigner, as a pilgrim, in some ways it's, it's freeing because it means that, okay, things aren't all going to be resolved and... I'm always going to be a little frustrated with my party or my tribe or my movement or, Mm -hmm. or, or my country Mm -hmm. uh, or my world. We're always, Mm -hmm. you know, as Hebrew says, looking for that city whose builder and maker is God, right? That's exactly right. And I think, 
it, to follow up on the, your discipleship question, that if we if we really dig deep into the idea of pilgrimage, and I, I in the book I trace the theme of pilgrimage from Genesis through Revelation. I kind of kind of just walk through Scripture. Um, chronologically, walk through history chronologically with lots of contemporary application, but with the idea that um, to understand that this is our core identity as believers, um, it should change the way that we see ourselves and conduct ourselves in the world differently than here's the information master it here's the performance that you have to you have to do in order to be perceived as a, being a good christian or welcome in this this particular group or church or institution or community you know people are wrestling deeply with the question of identity right now and some of us find the answer via the physical, our appearance, our gender. Others contend that our identity resides in our ethnicity, our network of relationships, our culture. Some say it's formed in what we do, our work, our hobbies, our passions. Ethics defines identity for another group, what moral choices we make. All of them are, uh, are facets. But they, they don't tell the whole story of who we are as people before God and the God who keeps calling us homeward. So pilgrimage, I think, and the idea of pilgrimage introduces um, a lot of freedom because we aren't all the same. We're not all cookie cutters. You know, I, I just love sitting in an airport or or in a downtown and watching people walk by and imagining they're even identical twins are not the same. Mm. You know, they, they may be God's clones. Like my husband likes to call them. We have friends that are twins, mm. but they're not that every single person is, is unique and individual. And yet we are called to be pilgrims with all in all of that uniqueness. So it means we're heading in the same place, but there is also, um, as we see in scripture, you know, Moses's journey was not Abraham's journey, was not Paul's journey, was not Jesus's journey. That's a great place to end. I think your book is really fantastic. I think people need to read it. Uh, we'll put a link to it on our site uh, when we post the podcast, but thankful for your voice. And uh, I hope you come back on the podcast again. I would love to. God bless you guys. Love the work that you're doing. And, um, you know, we journey on towards Jesus together. So thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please let us know by writing a review on iTunes. You can catch previous episodes on danieldarling.com. The Way Home is produced by Gary Lancaster and scheduling by Marie Delph. The Way Home is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention.